in. Can you all hear me okay? Um, I won't get up here yet because I'm going to show you a video. Um, and so this week, we're doing the Book of Ruth. I hope you've all been enjoying doing these books each week. And, um, but first, I want to show you the video from the Bible Project. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies. And the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, This family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family. And he calls Ruth a woman of noble 
character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. And, um, you know, I just love, I love reading. I've loved, like, studying this story as well to, just to prepare for you. It's just made, open my eyes to a few things, things that I took for granted when I read the book.
that actually now I'm seeing, I'm thinking, oh, I didn't actually realise any of those, some of those things. And, and so it's good. I think when going through these books like we are doing, should hopefully help us to realise actually that actually God's story is so amazing and how it all fits together into something that he has, he has planned from right from the beginning. Um, the book of story is a, a story of loyalty, um, to God in a period of disloyalty between the Israelites and God. Naomi's life and misfortune mirrors that of the Israelites of that time of, of where, um, where she became like, where she lost everything and became barren and a widow and all of that. And, and in the time of, in that time of the judges, it was, there were dark times, there were difficult times. You know, people were doing as they saw fit. They weren't doing what, what God wanted them to do. Um, you know, and we see how um, Naomi, in the beginning of the story, how it talks about how her and her husband, um, Elimelech and Marlon and Kilian, their two sons, how they went from Bethlehem to a foreign land. They left the promised land, the, the land that was actually meant to be a land flowing with milk and honey, all this provision. It was God's provision for them. They were, you know, they were supposed to have everything in this place, and yet um, it wasn't like that. There was, there was famine there, so the family left there and went to another land, and, and only to find that actually she just lost everything there as well. And all that she had left was uh, these two daughters-in-laws. Naomi changed the name from Naomi, which meant sweet, to Myra, which means bitter, to signify her own emptiness, uh, um, um, to, uh, to signify her own um, bitterness and a feeling of like that actually now she's not got anything left. And in Ruth, we go on this journey where we see how Naomi, who became empty in a foreign land, to a place of fullness back home in Bethlehem through God's provision of a daughter-in-law who loves her and is loyal to her. Even the women of the land proclaim to Naomi that God is giving you a restorer of life and the love of Ruth is better than seven sons. And we see God restoring Naomi from a place of barrenness, a widow with no male heir to take full inheritance, to take full inheritance through Boaz, through the meeting and marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And then eventually providing her an heir to, to redeem her property so that she has a safe future with her family. You know, we see how God weaves together, and we saw it in the video, how God weaves together the faithfulness and the obedience of Boaz and Ruth and how he brings about um, his redemptive purposes through their obedience and, and faithfulness to God. Boaz and Ruth act towards the needy with, without even considering their own benefit. They both risked everything to to be, um, to be kind, to be generous, to be obedient to God. And we see the risks that, we, that they took when we compare them with other characters in the book. So when we compare um, Ruth with Opa with the other daughter-in-law, we see that 
Oprah is persuaded to, to go back home because she knows that if she stays with Naomi, that actually she's got no future, she's got no hope of a future. Naomi's not going to have any more, more sons, so she may as well go and find um, provision somewhere else by marrying somebody else. But uh, Ruth saw the same risks, and she understood that actually going with Naomi meant that actually it just possibly meant that she would end up with nothing. But her heart and her kindness towards Naomi was that, I don't want to leave you. I want to stay with you. Let me come with you. And so she goes with Naomi. Even Boaz commends her, saying, you know, commends her of her loyalty to, to Naomi by saying, you know, you sh- you know, you're not even going off running after younger men, but you're being really kind and loyal to your mother-in-law. You know, we see the personal risks that, that Boaz takes when we compare him to the other kingsman redeemer, that he had more of a right to redeem the property for Naomi. He was, he was the next in line and he should have done that. You know, it was, um, um, but he didn't want to risk everything he had by marrying Ruth. And so he was disloyal to, to actually the law of the time. So the law at that time was that actually when you're, when you're the kinsman redeemer, you redeem your um, family's property so that they have a future. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to risk what he already had. But we see that, Mo, that Boaz actually, he took that risk and he took Ruth to be his wife so that he could show kindness to Naomi so that his, her property would be redeemed to her and to an heir. Um, We see Ruth deciding to follow God as she declares to Naomi, your God will be my God. And we see how she outworks that newfound relationship with God through her obedience and faithfulness to God and and her faithfulness and love towards Naomi. Now, Boaz recognises Ruth's commitment to God when he blesses her. And we see in... um, Ruth 2.12, Boaz says to her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings, whose, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz recognised that she had taken refuge under the wings of the Lord God Almighty. Um, we see how Boaz is a faithful man and in the video it talks about how he's a man of noble character um, how he treats his harvesters he greets them with a blessing he blesses Ruth and, and he fulfills his duty according to the law then we When we sit back and look at the big picture of the story, we see how God is working things out for those who love him. You know, we have this disaster scene. We have all these things that are going wrong. Somebody there that's ended up with nothing. And yet God is working behind the scenes, doing something. You know, Naomi had no idea what God was doing, but God was at work. It's, you know, it just so happens that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. You know, that's God's hand at work. You know, God led her to Boaz's field. And um, just so happens that when Boaz sees her and sees her kindness to, 
towards his relative, Naomi, that he insists that he, she should stay there in, in his field because he can guarantee her protection. So God is protecting Ruth and, and Naomi by, by having these people around them that saying, no, we're going to protect you. You're going to be safe here. And so we see God's provision and God's protection. And we see God's provision for, for them when Boaz, you know, he's really generous towards Ruth and wants to give her um, extra barley and, and he asks for her to come and um, sit with him and his employees while they're having a break at lunchtime and come and have some food. And, and again, there we see Naomi's kindness towards Naomi when she actually saves from that food because she wants to take it back to Naomi to share with her. God is working in their lives as they show obedience and loyalty and kindness to the needy. And all this is in a time when people fail to be obedient to God. It was normal to only think only of yourself and of your own benefit. And because in the book of Judges, at the end, it says, in those days they had no king and everybody did as they saw fit. People lived their lives the way they wanted to live it. They had no consideration to God. They had no consideration to to what God's law was. And so here we see Ruth, a new, who is walking in a newfound relationship with God, being part of God's um, people, being more faithful to those that she lives than being more faithful than those that she's living amongst. And we see Boaz being faithful and in keeping his law in a time of faithlessness. They were faithful in a time when pretty much Israel was not. Ruth, who has no history of covenant blessing enjoyed, um, that was enjoyed by the Israelites, shows covenant love and loyalty in a way that the Israelites didn't do at this time. And she eventually becomes one of four Gentile women included in the genealogy of Jesus that we can read about in Matthew, which is the good news for all nations. And so we see the blessing of Boaz um, to Ruth realise that she certainly is richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel. Her offspring with Boaz is part of God's redemptive story of Jesus, who then becomes our redeemer and sets us free from slavery when we put our trust in him. God is a faithful God and will be faithful towards us. He will be faithful towards you. He has an eternal plan which his children are part of. You and me are part of his eternal plans. We are part of his redemptive purposes for this world. And we bring um, restoration and transformation. You know, I love that um, letter that that little girl read out to us from Jesus. You know, she was saying about how, you know, my plan is so that you can make this world a better place. That is so true. And we respond to, to God with faithfulness because he's so faithful to us. And when we respond back to him with faithfulness, then we become part of his redemptive plan. And one day we will see how um, how all of that interplays with God's big picture if we can't see it now. 
Now, our lives is like one thread through the massive tapestry of life. Our faithfulness to God and, um, and our love for others is interwoven into his great plans of God. Now, when we look at a piece of tapestry, and when we look at it really close up, because of all the intricate details and all that's going on in that tapestry, you can't actually see what's going on. But it's only when you stand back from a tapestry and you actually think, wow, this is an amazing picture. This is beautiful, and you see the skill and the craftsmanship that's got into it to make this beautiful picture. That is what's happening with our lives, as we are being faithful and obedient and putting our trust in God. Now, do you think Ruth, the Moabite widow, ever thought that when she risked everything, that one day that she would become the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king? King David, and then the direct lineage of Jesus, the one and only king of Israel, the king that is not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, where it all becomes one nation. Now, her faithfulness and obedience to God not only brought about restoration to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but changed her own destiny to become part of the gospel story, God's story. I wonder what Oprah's future was like, whether she met the person that she wanted to meet, you know, the one who picked the easy option. I wonder about the other kinsman redeemer that should have done his duty. I wonder what I wonder if he was ever fulfilled in his wealth in the end. Now, how often do we lose sight of the bigger picture? How often do we choose the easy option rather than doing the right thing? Because, because if we choose to do the right thing, it actually costs us something. It actually, there is sacrifice sometimes. Are we prepared to make those choices that benefit others that actually may cost us? God is even faithful to us, even when we lose our faith in him. You know, we can be like Naomi at times when we feel empty and, you know, and only bitterness because, because of our, our circumstances and the disasters that are going on around us. But um, God is working behind the scene. And we may not be able to see what's going on, and we may be in a situation of hopelessness at times, but God is right there fulfilling his purpose, turning what the enemy intended to harm us into something amazing, into something that is beautiful. Let's not be those that give up all hope but be those that put our trust and our faith in him and trust that he knows what's going on and that he is at work. Doing the right thing can be risky. Stepping out in faith, praying for the sick, doing the right thing can be hard at times, but God sees it and never forgets. Our faithfulness and loyalty to him and those around us brings him such great pleasure. He takes joy in it. I love the song that, um, that Rian brought about. He is singing over us. He loves us. He's singing joy over us. He's singing love over us. You know, when we're being faithful and we're being obedient and we're loving people around us, you know, it, it's like a love offering to God and we, you know, he sees that and it's like worshipping him and he loves us and he pours out more of his love upon us and we, we experience that more, more of a connection with him. 
You know, when we do the right thing and step out in faith, he opens the floodgates of blessings towards us. You know, Mark 12, Jesus talks about the greatest commandment. And when we read in Mark 12, verse um, 30, um, Jesus says this, as the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with everything that you have. There's no greater commandment than that. No greater commandment than that. And to love those around us as we love ourselves. Now, our faithfulness and loyalty to God reveals to the whole creation that we are his sons and daughters. And it brings restoration to this broken world. Our relationship with God brings restoration to this broken world. If we have stepped out of the promises of God like Naomi did when she left Bethlehem with her family and, and all of that, you know, and, then, and we only find all emptiness and bitterness and we feel like, do you know what? I don't feel fruitful here. I don't feel like I'm in the right place. No, God says, turn back to me. He welcomes every single one of us with open arms. He wants to pour out his blessing in our lives. He wants us to be part of his redemptive plan. He wants us to put us in the big story, God's story. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that none of us would have to perish if we put our faith and trust in him. But we have eternal life. And Jesus alone can bring purpose to our life. Our relationship with him is where we will find our destiny that, that he has for us. No, it is sin in our lives that separates us from a place of fulfillment with God. Sin could be um, a deep down attitude of active rebellion. It could be wanting to just do whatever we want to do, to please ourselves, to live the way we want to live, or even passive indifference towards God and his ways. And the result of sin in, in our life is death and, se- and spiritual separation from God. But we can come close to God by receiving Jesus as the king of our lives, making him the Lord of our lives and being obedient to him. We don't always understand what God is doing in our lives. And maybe things are diff- difficult. And maybe you do have questions. Maybe you do have struggles. Maybe things just don't seem so plain sailing. Maybe you're thinking, Judith, it's okay you're saying that right now, but right now the situation and the circumstances that I'm going through are really, really difficult. Now the Bible talks about how we should not worry. If you find yourself in a place of worry, then maybe it should be a trigger to you that actually maybe you're believing something that's not even the truth. Ask God to help you. Ask God to tell you what the truth is and stand firm on that truth and know that actually you don't have to worry. Get into his presence and wait on him and you will find that he will give you answers in those moments. 
And if he doesn't give you answers in those moments, you will certainly feel his presence, his peace, his joy, his strength, knowing that actually he is there, sat on his throne, looking after you, loving you, singing over you. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says this, um, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. How often do we forget that he is sat on his throne interceding for us? You know, we've already heard this morning about his love and, and, and we were singing about how he, you know, and someone brought a prophetic word as well about how he inscribes our names on the palm of his hands. Now, isn't that beautiful? How can he forget us when his name's written on the palms of his hands? He doesn't forget about you. He doesn't forget about the situations and the circumstances that you are in. But he wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you joy despite those, those circumstances. You know, have you ever looked back at situations as time has gone on and, you know, and you look back at a situation of like a time when you were really worried about something and, and it really got to you and you were really thinking about it all the time and it caused you a lot of stress and anxiety, but only like now when you look back and you think, do you know what, if I knew then what I knew now, then I wouldn't have worried because actually it's all worked out fine. How often do we find ourselves in that situation? The reality is that we genuinely do not have to worry. Jesus said to us to not worry. And there's a lovely passage in Matthew 6, um, verses 25 to 35, all about how we should not worry. And I'd like to read just verse 34 of that. So it's Matthew 6, verse 34. No, one of the things about worry is that um, um, it puts us in centre place of, instead of God being in the centre place. So verse 34 says this, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about his, itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now we can sometimes become so com consumed, can't we, about our situation and our circumstances that actually we, we forget to prioritise our life in, in, in terms of like, well, actually we should be running after the things of God here. We should be seeking the kingdom of God here and his righteousness. And God says that, um, that actually he will bless us, not that we do it all to be blessing, blessed. And it's like what Matthew brought earlier about that word about actually we don't do this so that we can get a blessing for ourselves. We do it because this is what God wants for us, that God loves us and we do it as an act of worship towards him. But actually he promises us here that actually when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that everything else will be given to us. That He promises that he will bless us when we seek him first. Remember, he is sat on his throne interceding for us. And you will find in his presence that he will take away all your fears, all your worries, all your anxiety, all your stress and brokenness and restores you and gives you peace. So what do I mean when I say get into his presence? 
Well, we are actually already in his presence because God is everywhere. He's all around us. He's, you know, he's here in this room even now. And so when I say get into his presence, what I'm talking about is, is becoming more aware of his presence, being aware that actually is here with us, being aware that actually is right there beside you. Is being aware of that and just centering yourself on him and saying, Jesus, I want to re- realign my thoughts into, to, into, into what your thoughts are. I want to realign but the things that are going on in my head into what the word of God says. And, and it's just realigning all of that. And it's just being aware that actually God is there right with you. And we can do this so many times throughout the day. It only takes seconds or minutes that, you know, as the day is going on, we can just recenter ourselves and focus and say, God, I thank you that you are with me. God, I want to seek first your kingdom. God, what do I need to do in this situation? God, help me. God, give me strength. You know, God will outwork everything for the good of those who love him. You know, whatever the enemy intends for harm and destruction, God will turn it into something beautiful. When we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, we will know his blessing. You know, maybe you do find yourself wondering whether... Um, your, small, your small, insignificant decisions actually, you know, does actually really make any difference. Um, you know, what, you know, those, those things that you do that's unseen, does it actually do anything? Does it actually change anything? But when they're filled with integrity and obedience to God, they can have a dramatic difference in ways that you may not even realise. For example, when we're at work, being, um, having integrity at work um, is, can be, is really, really important. Even when everyone else around us seems to not have any integrity or to be doing something, it just seems the norm. But actually, you know that actually that's not even the right thing. Honouring God in life's decisions and letting him be part of them, submitting our ways to him. Now, these are all small ways that actually we do make a massive difference. What about the way that we use our money? Are we generous? Are we good stewards? What about looking out for the lonely and the poor and and loving those around us and and sometimes going the extra mile for them? Um, Let's turn to Galatians 6, verse verse 7. Don't underestimate the significance of your walk with God. Don't underestimate the plan and purposes that God has for you. In Galatians 6, verse 7 to 10 says this. says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God will use your faithfulness. God will use your obedience. God will use all of that to create something beautiful, something amazing, something glorifying to God. And it, and it is part of the gospel whatever situation that you find yourself in, when you're behaving with a, in, as an act of obedience towards God and faithfulness towards God, it becomes part of God's big story. So don't give up. God sees you. Keep going. Put your trust in God, who is faithful. Put your trust in God, who is faithful and is working behind the scenes of your life to build this amazing tapestry that, that we are one, yet, one day yet to see of God's amazing redemptive plan being outworked in this world where we see lives transformed, renewed and restored as we do what we are called to do. I love what Dave brought earlier about how um, he was saying about how we need to rise up, speed those that rise up. Let's be those that rise up. Let's be those that stand firm. Let's be those that go out there bringing God's righteousness and justice to this world. Let us stand on the promises of God because it is true that God has not finished with you yet, that the best is yet to come. Amen.